0: All right, I'm preaching today. Surprise! We have to get rolling because last time I preached, which was some time ago, I preached over an hour. That's why I haven't been allowed to preach for so long. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But really, we do have to get rolling. So, um, can we just say a quick word of prayer together? Father God... We thank you that we get to be here with you today and hear from you and hear from your word. Lord, I pray that you would be the one speaking through me. God, that none of these would be my words, anyone else's words, but your words alone. God, that they would come and penetrate our hearts and that they would do something to change us and not just fall on our minds or on our hearts, but, but really get inside our lives and change our Monday and not just our Sunday. We thank you, Lord. It's in your name. We pray. Amen. Whoo. I gotta catch my breath. I don't know what's going on. Uh, so we're in the third week of a vision series. If you've been here for the last few weeks, we started a series called Shaped. How formation creates your future. If you noticed, I kind of forgot, I kind of forgot, had to look. So how, how formation creates your future. What does that mean? You're gonna find out today. Two Sundays ago, Pastor Brian gave us insights into what it means to be a disciple, right? Like he, he talked to us about following Jesus, about specifically how do we apprentice to Jesus? How do we apprentice to him? How do we follow him? Last week, uh, Josh outlined how we, how and why we should be with Jesus, uh, that, that, that we should be with Jesus constantly, that we have to retrain our minds to return again and again to God, to, to become constantly aware that God's presence is around us. And that's why we be with Jesus, to kind of reprogram ourselves so that we are aware of his presence in our lives. And then now this week, the third week, we move on from being with Jesus to becoming like Jesus. This is the next step in our apprenticeship to him or our, our following of him. Um, so we're going to talk today about becoming like Jesus. So let's get right into scripture with Matthew eleven twenty nine, And they're going to have it on the screens, or if you have it, a Bible or your phone, uh, you can find it there. It's a really, really short scripture, uh, yet there's a lot packed in here. Uh, so if we have it there, Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. First of all, this is Jesus speaking. If you didn't catch that, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Who wants rest for your soul? I want rest for my soul. Uh. So the yoke here in in this scripture is referring to Jesus's teachings. This is an an ancient Hebrew way of saying that. So Rabbi would have a set of teachings and that was his yoke. All right, so the, the yoke in this passage is talking about Jesus's wisdoms. Jesus' understandings of the world, the thing, the things that he spoke, the things that that he relayed to uh, the people who heard him. Um, so Jesus says, "Take my yoke upon you." But, but but what Jesus doesn't mean, he doesn't mean just know it here in your head, and and Jesus doesn't mean just just have it here in your heart. Um, but but Jesus he says and learn, actually. Learn from me. So, so like, for instance, it's not just like, I know all your teachings, Jesus. I, I have all your teachings memorized. I remember the one uh, where you taught about not worrying about anything. I remember that one you taught about uh, loving your neighbor. I remember all these. I have them in my head. I can recite them to you. And he's also not talking about, like, just feeling it. Like, like thinking that, you know, I love the things you say, Jesus. You're just such a a, a good, everything you say is just so good. Like, I just feel it, Jesus. Like, I just feel it in here. That's not what he's talking about either. Those things alone, he wants us to take the yoke and learn. All right, that's important. It may not seem important, but that's important. Take my yoke upon you and learn. Learn. So, what are we supposed to learn? Well, first, Jesus, Jesus wants us to learn his way. All throughout the New Testament, you hear about the way of Jesus. Jesus has a way of living. When Jesus came, he came as a new human. So, he gave us a new way to be human. And he wants us to learn that way from him. This is the way to eternal life. Jesus says that it's the way to eternal life. It's the way that, that He created things from the very beginning. The way that is truest to reality as it should be is what Jesus shows us. And he wants us to learn how to live that way from him. It's intriguing here that the taking of the yoke and the learning, they're really inseparable. That That and conjunction is so important that you really can't separate these two concepts so so have you have you ever learned something from someone? you know maybe you learned to play the guitar or maybe you learned to cook a dinner or learn to sew or whatever it may be um, you 've probably learned something from someone when I was a kid, I learned uh, how to play golf from my dad um, and first. When I started on that journey, I needed to um, get interested in golf, right? Like I needed to have some some interest in the game, and 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 kind of you know some sort of desire to actually play it. I, I needed to uh, basically you could call this taking the yoke. I ne- I needed to get in my in my in my being this desire to play golf which is very similar to ha- having the desire to take on Jesus' yoke, his, his understandings. All right, so if I wanted to take on the yoke as a kid, I lo- I, you know, I would look at my dad's golf magazines. Um, I, would, I, would, I would try and read them, and, and, and this, this was a long time ago, so my dad would, like, record golf matches on VHS tapes, and so I would pop in VHS tape, try to watch that, you know. It didn't really hold my attention, obviously, um, but uh, tried, tried. Tried to take on that yoke. And um, so we do this as followers too, right? Like whenever we become a follower of Jesus and we're trying to take on that yoke, and we're trying to get that, that, that desire and that interest, then we start to pick up b- books on our faith. We go to the bookstore. We find books on our Christian faith. Uh, we find uh, podcasts to listen to of different sermons. We might watch Christian TV. We do these things to kind of immerse ourselves and take on that yoke. Um, did something happen to the light here? I feel like I'm in the darkness did it, did it blow out? Yeah, I think it blew oh, cool. <laughs> you know what? Can we get this third row on? This third row of fluorescent lights? This fl- third row of fluorescent lights? Sorry for the commercial. This th- third row of commercial... I can't even talk now. We're going to have to get back on track. I wouldn't have said anything, but I can't even. I can't read my notes, so... What am I supposed to do? <laughs> so we were talking about how we do things. When we, when we choose to follow Jesus, we immerse ourselves with books, with podcasts, whatever. Um, um, so, uh, so first when I wanted to play golf, I had to get in my mind an interest to play golf. All right, then I needed to get some sort of passion. Uh, I, like I needed to feel like I actually wanted to play it. Like I, I wanted, I, I needed to feel inside this this inner desire of I want to go out and I want to play golf. I want to be good at golf. Um, and so to do that, you know, we would go out on the course. Uh, we would enjoy the breeze, you know, the the nice fresh air and, and you know, the, the nice soft green grass all throughout the course. Um, and, and that helps kind of, you know, awaken this this love of golf, um, so the one time my dad took me to this really nice uh, golf course, um, I was probably like nine or ten, somewhere around there, uh, just a kid. And you know, it, it, we spent all the whole day out there. It was a long day, um, and I, I was getting kind of bored with it. Uh, and I, as a kid, I would just space out sometimes. And just kind of go into my mind. Like, if something wasn't holding my interest, I found, I found something within myself. Uh, so we're on the ninth hole or something, you know, somewhere far along there. And um, my dad's in the sand trap over here. In the sand trap. Which was not unusual for, for him. I'm, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but, okay, so he's in the sand trap. He's taking his time. He's setting up his shot. He's getting ready to go. And, you know, i got to be on the green, I got to be on the green because I got to take the flag out. Just in case by some miracle my dad makes the greatest shot of his life and it goes into that hole, I need to have the flagpole out. So I'm up on the green. Dad's in the sand trap. He can't really see me because it's a deep one. Uh, so I'm up on the green holding that flagpole. And, uh, you know, as as kids do, I kind of dazed off. Just kind of went, went in my own little world. Um, and then all of a sudden I'm awoken by... Uh, uh, an older man shouting words that my family didn't use. Um, and it and ter- turns out what happened was um, as I was standing there holding that flagpole, I was just digging little holes all into the screen. <laughs> I was digging holes into the green. And, and that's not something that you do <laughs> in golf. If you've never played golf, it's not something that you do. Um... And so, yeah, I don't know how my dad really recovered from that one. Um, but back to the point, uh, like, we do this in following Jesus. We do this in following Jesus. Um, we go to prayer meetings, just like going. we went to the golf course. We go to prayer meetings. We go to small groups. Um, we, we try to catch the heart for following Jesus. Um, so sometimes those in those environments... We hit unprecedented embarrassment, just like my dad did on the golf course when I was digging holes into the green. um, Sometimes we face that same thing in our following of Jesus. But then I would learn from my dad by watching him, right? That, that's typically how we learn something. And that's what apprenticing Jesus, that's what we're really getting at is, is we become like him by, by, by learning from him. And so my dad would like show me how to grip the club. You know, he'd show me like, okay, this club uh, is used to hit for this shot. And this club is used on the green, things like that. Um, so one time my dad was showing me how to swing the club. And, and again, I was young, um, not very wise or smart, but, uh, so he, he w- we, we were like this, and I you know I had the club in my hand, and my dad's behind me, <laughs> with his arms around me, his head up above mine, you know, cause he's gonna grab the club too, and he's gonna teach me how to, how to swing back, you know, just like this, you know, kinda get the form there. Um, obviously that's not a good golf swing, but I'm trying to hold a mic, so cut me some slack. Um, but, uh, so he's behind me, and, 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 and for whatever reason, man, I, I took that club and I just went whoosh, and I racked my dad right in the ear. Right? Did it hurt? He still got a scar, folks. This is no joke. I hit him right in the ear reason I, I I told that story is there's pains that come into learning, too. So, like, golf has caused my dad embarrassment. It has caused my dad pain. Um, but there's also joys. There's also joys that come into learning. I know that, like, those times golfing were, like, some of the best times that we had together. Um, and it was possible because of that difficult learning process and the things that came along with that that, that I've just uh, illustrated to you. Um, So back to that verse, take it, take the yoke, take my yoke and learn from me. Um, There's two missteps that we take with this verse. So we either take the yoke of Jesus. In other words, like we know all his teachings, know all his instructions, but yet we neglect to learn from him what to do with all that information. So it's just all right here and it never comes out here or out here. We've taken the yoke, but we haven't learned. On the other side, we can get so busy doing all the things we've learned to do from Jesus that we have not yet established the yoke, and then burnout is inevitable because the why of why we're doing it is not there. We're just doing it because we think that's what we're supposed to be doing. And without having the understanding and wisdom of Jesus behind that, it becomes a bunch of busy work that burns us out. So the the problem with these two imbalances is that we miss out on the promise that Jesus is giving in this verse. Jesus is giving a promise that if you take my yoke upon you, and if you learn from me, then you will find rest for your souls. It is only in the taking his yoke upon you and learning from him that we find rest for our souls. Because this is is becoming like Jesus. If we want to take that next step from being with Jesus to becoming like Jesus, we must take upon ourselves his yoke and learn from him. That is how we become like him. Another scripture I want to look at, Luke 6, 39 through 40. Luke 6, 39 through 40. The he here again is Jesus. So this is Jesus speaking. He also told them this parable. Parable is just like a little illustrative story that Jesus would tell to kind of get his point across. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher in the process of discipleship, as Pastor Brian talked about two weeks ago, the, the fo- if you were a follower of a rabbi, um, you, would, you would spend every waking moment with that teacher you would eat with that teacher, you would um, walk with that teacher, you would uh, shop with that teacher. Um, even when you went down to bed, um, you would rest in the same places as your teacher. You, you would spend all of your time with him. And you, when you were with your rabbi, you'd be memorizing your rabbi's words. You'd be memorizing his teachings. You'd be getting into his thoughts, the way that he would think about a thing, the way that he would process a certain verse. Um, and so you would do all these things as a follower of a rabbi because you would quite literally become a copy of that rabbi so that you could then go to other areas and spread his teachings. So here Jesus asks rhetorically, can the blind lead the blind? If your teacher is not something other than what you are, then he or she will have nothing to give you, right? Right? In, in that case, if 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 your teacher is not something other than what you are, then you will be like your teacher, and your teacher is like you, and therefore, you will be you, which is like a very popular thing to be in our time. But we want to go against that. We want to become countercultural. Because as students of Jesus, we are training to become like him with the intentions of doing the things that he did. But because Jesus is both God and man, things get a bit more complicated than just like following a a teacher here on the earth, you know, kind of becoming like them. It's a bit of a more tricky matter when we're trying to become like the God-man, Jesus. Um, so it's going to take a bit more than like, you know, like, like, I don't know when I think about training, I I always think about the Rocky, the Rocky montage and, 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 and Rocky, he, Rocky, Rocky Balboa running around trying to, trying to catch those chickens. And then he's like, over here, and he's like, like punching on this punching bag, and then he's like running up the steps like, yeah, I'm a fighter. And so that is like not how it works when it comes to becoming like Jesus. Like there's no training montage that we can just run through, and then we're going to become like Jesus. I mean, that'd be sweet because I love training montages, but that's just not going to work. The New Testament often refers like to this change that we have to happen in ourselves as transformation, transformation. In the Greek, that word is is which is kind of like where we get our word for metamorphosis. And when I say metamorphosis, um, what immediately comes to mind would be like what? Like butterfly, right? Like butterflies go into a cocoon, metamorphosis, all of that. So like, I kind of wanted to illustrate this. And I didn't really field test this illustration. And so I don't really think it's going to work exactly as planned. Um, but a caterpillar, if I'm a caterpillar, I go into a cocoon like this, right? And then uh, I will stay here for about two weeks. And then I will come out a magnificent butterfly, So I'll be in here chilling, I went in as a caterpillar, time passes, and I come out as a butterfly. Now it would be incredible if, if this method actually worked for us. I recently heard that um, Lady Gaga actually tried this out. And I'm not sure the results on that. Uh, but I, I don't think it worked uh, because I don't think this, this works. Um, pretty positive it doesn't. Um, but wouldn't it be grand if spiritual formation worked in this way? Like I could sit in here, if I could actually fit in here, then I could sit in here and pray. I could just like be praying for a couple weeks and then like exit as a person who is like Jesus, capable of doing the things he did. That would be incredible. Uh, but you know, we are not caterpillars, my friend. <laughs> I will not be emerging as a butterfly here because we, we don't change by the same methods, right? We don't change by metamorphosis. So, so New Testament must be referring to something else when we talk about transformation other than like that kind of metamorphosis. There's something different. So, so it's not metamorphosis. Um, so there's, there's also another, um, the way that we think of transformation is not really transformation um and so um it it closely resembles transformation but but it falls short of what transformation actually does in our lives and it's called imitation it's called imitation. Uh can you help me out here with an illustration man um can you come up on the stage are you, are you are you comfortable? Yeah. Okay, okay. So he's going to help me out with this illustration. So we're talking about imitation. So like what I just want you to like do do what I do after I do it. So like I I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to make you into a dancer, all right? I'm going to make you into a dancer, all right? So if we do this, can we do this? All right, so yeah. So he's got this move down. Can we do this one? Go ahead. Just groove it. See, look, he's becoming a dancer, right? Come on, can we spin like this? Very good, very good, very good. Thank you. Give him a hand. All right, so... So in theory, I just transformed him into a dancer, right? Now, I didn't say a good dancer. It's a very, probably a bad dancer. On my part, not yours. You, you could be a very great dancer. It's, it's my teaching that's suffering. Um, but actually, like, nothing changed inside of him just then. Like, he, he may have looked like a dancer for the time he was up here, but it's not like he's, like, suddenly changed, into something else. Uh, so he was merely copying my movements. And, and and what needs to be clear is that in the life of God, intention is just as critical as action. Get that intention is just as critical as action. He he was just repeating my actions. There, were, there was no intention behind it other than just copying what I told him to, to, to copy. And that's not true transformation. Uh, think about this. Like, I could give, I could give a person money. I could, I could give a person money as a charitable gift. It's the same action. I could give it as a charitable gift, or it, I could be giving it as a filthy bribe. Right? It's the same action, but it's the intention behind it that determines the morality of the action. So imitation deals in just the action. But it doesn't deal in intention. And and transformation involves both. Transformation must change both the action and the intention behind the action. And here's where it gets real. Here's where it gets real. Nearly, if not all, of our lived moments are made up of actions and intentions. This is life. So, formation is ongoing. Each moment forms your future, intentionally or unintentionally, on purpose or by accident. Whether you realize it or not, you are being shaped into someone. And in the end, it may be someone that you like, or it actually might be someone that you don't like. See, at some point in your life, you've taken on a yoke you've learned from someone and maybe it was Jesus that would be fantastic if it was Jesus but most likely it wasn't and as you learn from that person you began to do the things that person did you begin to say the things that person said you were around that person's group and you were being shaped you were being shaped and now you are who you are because of that formation And for some of us, that's a good thing. But for some of us, it's not. And for those of us that it's not, what you've got to know today is that you have not yet been kilned. You're not solidified until your very last breath. Until then... Until you take that last breath, you're soft. You're moldable. And if you're not who you want to be, think about who you want to be, and transformation will take you there. And for me, it's Jesus. When I think about who I want to be like, it's Jesus. And transformation is the means to that end. Transformation is the means to Jesus. Transformation is lifelong. So formation, we've been talking about formation. Formation is the daily experience that that makes the person you want to be, the person that is more like Christ, become more and more distinguishable. So think of it like this. It's like if you are a mirror and you're just covered in soot and, and, and you're being held up to a light. All right, the more that we would wipe that dirt off of that mirror, the more that that mirror is going to reflect the light that it's being pointed at. It's like potter's clay starting out as just a lump, and then it's shaped more and more and more, and you begin to see that it's becoming a jar. This is what it's like to experience formation. So let's get down to spiritual formation. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 we've got it up there. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, all right, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. If we were to think that spiritual formation comes by our own doing, we would be wrong, right? For it is God, it says, for it is God who works in you. Okay, but neither would we be, be correct if we said that it is only the action of God that, 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 that forms us. Because this scripture instructs us to work out our own salvation. So here we have both God and us working. Both are working in this process. In other words, uh, we, we put in all we've got... We give everything we have, and then God, in his abundance, fills in the rest. So if we're to put in, then formation entails an effort. Or more simply, formation entails trying. Um, though trying serves a purpose other than what you may assume try and serves a purpose other than what you may assume. Now, we're about to get into quite a bit of C.S. Lewis writings. So before we move on, I'd like to briefly acquaint you with him. If you do not know him, Lewis was a titan of the Christian faith. He was he was a known atheist and a scholar who publicly converted to Christianity and wrote the book Mere Christianity to defend that, that faith. He became one of Christianity's greatest defenders and greatest authors. He wrote more than 30 books. He worked at Oxford University. He held a chair at Cambridge. And uh, I'm a burgeoning fan of his. I'm actually in a course on his works right now in school, and so that's why I've researched him so much here, um, because I'm reading a lot of his stuff, Um, but it's so applicable to what we're talking about in Becoming Like Jesus. All right, so in talking about the trying that we do, Lewis writes that we must try, we must try, we must try, we must try, we must try so hard that we can't try, we can't try possibly any harder. We can't try any harder, And because, because, because we reach that humble moment of failure, that's when we turn to God and we say, you must do this. I can't. That's the purpose the trying serves. The trying isn't going to get you where you're wanting to go. It's going to get you to the point where you're on your knees saying, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. You, can, you, you have to do it for me. But couldn't we start at this point without all the trying? You know, perhaps if we were a different kind of human, um, but for most of us it takes the exhausting of our self-confident wills to concede that we're incapable. Hmm. We must come to know from personal experience that we cannot be the good person on our own. Simply can't. But here's what Lewis said. Lewis reminds us, he says, handing everything over to Christ does not, of course, mean that you stop trying. Of course. I love how he says, of course. He has the sharpest wit. Of course, it doesn't mean that you stop trying. To trust him means, of course, trying to do all that he says. So it's like this paradox, we try, we try, we try, we try, we hit a point, we say, I, I fail, I can't do it, God, you have to do it. But then when God does it, we still keep trying, because we want to follow everything that he tells us to do. We try on our own to the point of failure. Then we say, God, I can't. Only you can. Then he says, you're right, you can't. But now you can through Christ. This means that we become like Christ through what we talked about last week, being with Christ. Right? We become like Christ by being with Christ. Specifically by being in Christ. I'm running out of time. I do want to tell this story. We can, we can cut some stuff at the end if we need to. But there, um, is, any, is anyone familiar with Chronicles of Narnia? This is a C.S. Lewis series. It's a fantasy series that he uses um, to describe these, these theological points, but he uses fiction because fiction um, can speak to the heart in a different way. And um, so in that series, this book called Voyage of the Don Treader um and if you're not familiar with the series it's it's about kids that go into this fantasy land called narnia and there's a lot of parallels there um between what's happening in the christian faith and so you have like this lion um called aslan and he is kind of like a christ figure and you've got um you've got evil you've got all sorts of, of parallels there um so Lewis is trying to get at something. All right. So in Voyage of the Don Shredder, there's a there's kind of a uh, kind of a rude and and misbehaving boy named Eustace. And um, Eustace has a cousin named Edmund, and um, they go on adventures together. Anyway, Eustace winds up getting turned into a dragon. He gets turned into a dragon because of that's kind of like who he is in his heart. And so that's who he becomes. So there's something in that, too. Um, but Eustace gets turned into a dragon. And then eventually, um, he meets up with Edmund. And he wants to tell Edmund how he turned back into a real boy. And so Eustace begins that at, when he was a dragon, this lion came to him. And, and the lion comes to him. And the lion says, follow me. Now, this lion is Aslan, so this this is like a Christ uh, figure, and, and the lion says, follow me. All right, so the dragon begins to follow the lion, and the lion takes him up these mountains into this beautiful region, and up on the mountains, uh, the dragon sees this well of water, and he thinks to himself that if, if he can bathe in that well, then then this pain, he has a pain in his leg, uh, and, and this pain in his leg is going to be removed if he can just bathe in that well. As he's thinking this, the lion says to him, you must first undress. Okay, so Eustace begins to look at himself as a dragon. And he begins to claw at himself, and he begins to rip off all these scales, rip off all the rough skin, rip off all the, all the, all the skin and the, the, the roughness and the, the scales, and, and he rips it off, and he throws it to the side. And he looks at it, and says, it's a nasty-looking thing, but it felt really good to take off. All right, so then he comes up to the water's edge. He looks down. He sees scales again. He sees scales again. So he thinks, okay, maybe there's just another layer of this that I need to rip off. So he comes back. He begins to rip. He begins to pry. He, he, he pulls off all the skin and he throws it to the side next to the other one. And then again, he comes. He's still a dragon. And so a third time, a third time, he does all he can. He puts forth effort. He rips off the skin of the dragon. And he sees that again it has failed. And so the lion says, You will have to let me undress you. Eustace agrees. And so the lion comes to the dragon, takes out his sharp claw. And the dragon says, I was fearful. It was a scary thing. The lion takes the claw, jabs it into the dragon nearly penetrating his heart. Eustace said this was the most pain he's ever felt in his life. And he takes the claw and he rips and he pulls off that skin. Eustace says that it was so painful. The only thing that got him through it was just the feeling of knowing that that skin was coming off, that it felt good. And then the lion grabs Eustace and he throws him into the well. And when he gets in the well, Eustace sees that he has become a boy again, that the dragon has been removed, and that he is a a boy and that his leg and his pain is all removed. And then the lion comes, and he gets Eustace out of the well, and the lion clothes him in new clothes. It's an incredible picture of transformation incredible picture of how we, we we ourselves are stuck in that dragon's skin and we try and we try we try and we try to rip it off and every time that used to rip it off it wasn't painful it didn't hurt but then when the lion came when Aslan came when Christ came and he took it off it was painful there was some pain involved but that is when he found his transformation And he became a boy yet again. I love that. I love that. I love that. Oh, it's so good. Lewis uses the analogy of infection. You can read that quote in your notes. He he says that Christ is spreading this good infection, and that transformation um, can be transmitted through infection and that that we can catch it. Lewis puts it like like we are carved statues that are becoming real men. Like Just imagine that, like going to the clothing store and a mannequin, a mannequin standing there all of a sudden is just just burst into life. Like This is the equation of what it means to be transformed. You, You go from just being this this inanimate thing you think you're living lewis calls this the bios life it's just a physical life you think you're alive uh, but the second that god touches you and transforms you you are filled with a zoe life and you become alive truly alive like a mannequin walking around the store it's it's such a great picture of what it means to be transformed um, Lewis, there's another quote in your notes about a, a grass field of of how it, it, it. If we want transformation in our lives, we have to be plowed up from the inside and replanted. We can't just think that it's going to um, happen over what we've already got. It's got to be something totally different. Uh, deep change must occur to affect our actions and intentions. Lewis says that, and this is great too, rather than being a paint, which is just like cover-up, surface level cover-up, true transformation is like a dye or a stain, like a stain gets into a wood and it just soaks through and it just colors that whole wood. It's not a cover-up. It comes within. This is what transformation is. Um, Lewis has this quote, um, so he talks about how, like, like, so a lot of us, we want transformation, but we also want our, we want, we want our life we have. Like, we have this ideal image of, I want to be transformed, like, I want to be like Christ, but, you know, actually, I also like the life that I'm living now, and so we kind of, like, want to have our cake and eat it, too. And, and, and he has this, this, this brilliant image of, of an egg, and, and he's, here's an egg, um. And he says, it may be hard for an egg uh, to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while it remained an egg. We can test it, see if this will fly. <laughs> no, I don't, it wouldn't fly because it hasn't yet become a bird. We are like eggs at present. And you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary, decent egg we must be hatched or go bad. That ties in nicely. with what always said earlier about formation. It's, it's just happening to you all the time. So we, you can literally either be hatched or you, you can go bad. Um, to carry the analogy further, an egg doesn't hatch because it's gotten better or nicer or more polite, um, and neither will we. That's not, that's not what transforms us. We know that it 's not about being nicer or better um, it 's redemption that we 're in need of, not a good polishing um, L- Lewis has this quote it 's in your notes for mere improvement is not redemption, right just getting nicer, just getting better, just just being being good um, though redemption always improves people even here and now, and it will in the end improve them to a degree that we can 't even imagine. Um, but God became man to turn creatures into sons. Not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. That's revolutionary. That's revolution. What other spiritual leader or teacher came to, to create a new kind of man? These, these, the, the others tried to make us Better. Try, try to make us more charitable or more moral or more ethical. But Jesus comes and he wants to create an entirely new kind of man. It, it, Lewis says that it's like, it, it, it's not just like making a, a horse trained to, to, to jump better and better. But it's like taking a horse and turning it into a winged creature. Imagine that. Imagine a big, a big stallion trying to get wings. And he says that, that, in, that in that process of, of changing that horse into a winged creature, there's going to be a time where uh, there's going to be lumps on its back. Where the wings are coming in and, and no one's really going to know what that is or what it means and people are going to look at it weird and funny and strange because they don't understand what is going on with that horse but whenever those wings burst out of those lumps the horse is going be, to be able to jump over obstacles that no natural horse ever could it's an amazing picture In experiencing transformation, you may go through a stage of the lumps, but a bit of awkwardness is part of your becoming like Jesus. Remember the embarrassment of my dad and the golf green. Finally, to close this message, in experiencing transformation, something must be killed. I'm not much of a violent person, and I, so I don't really care for violent imagery. But this is the truth of the matter. In in another book of Lewis's called The Great Divorce, this is another um, fiction novel um, where he just uses the device in order to get his point across, and and so it's it's about. Um, these ghosts who are in hell and they get on a bus and they're able to visit heaven. And in heaven, uh, the great saints are able to come and traverse and they're able to speak with these ghosts and try to get them to accept God. And then so these are all character studies in which Lewis explains the reasons for which many people reject God. Um, And so in one of these stories... There is a ghost who is walking along, and uh, this ghost is kind of oily and dark and small and shrunken, and on his shoulder is this sinister red lizard. There's a lizard here, and the lizard is just whispering in the ghost's ear. You can't hear what he's saying, but he's just whispering. And then this ghost ghost looks at him and says, just shut up. Stop talking. And the lizard just keeps on, you know, chattering and whispering in his ear. And 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 then this angel, this fiery archangel, blazing heat coming off of him. The brightness is almost too radiant to look at. It says to the man, the ghost, uh, "Do you want me to silence him?" And the ghost says, "Yeah." Yeah, I I told him if I brought him here, he had to be quiet. He's not listening. I would love for you to silence him. And the angel says, then I'll kill it. The ghost says, whoa, 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 whoa. You you didn't mention anything about killing it. You know, I I just want to silence him. I just want to shut him up for a while. I didn't want to kill him. And the angel says, this is the only way. It's the only way. Can I kill it? And the man begins to make up excuses. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I think he's went to sleep. He's sleeping now, so let's not worry about him. Let's just let him be. And, and then the angel continues to say, can I kill it? And, and the man again makes excuses. Oh, I think I'm just going to use the, the, the gradual process of just letting him kind of die on his own. And, and the angel says, well, that's not going to work. And, and so the angel continues to ask, may I kill it? And then the ghost says, well, if, if you really wanted to help me, why didn't you just kill him? I mean, I didn't come here planning to make this type of decision. And the angel says, I have to have your permission. And then the lizard begins Chattering in the man's ear. We find out that this lizard is a representation of of a man's lust. And it's just speaking all these things into his mind. And finally, the, the ghost is fed up. and He says, go ahead and do it. Just do it. And the angel, the fire angel, places his hand on that lizard and squeezes. And he throws the lizard off to the side. And at that time, the ghost begins to, to to reanimate. He begins to become solid. He begins to become a man. His arms become strong. His legs become strong. And not only that, the lizard over here on the side begins to grow. It begins to become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the lizard turns into. A beautiful white stallion. And the man gets on the stallion and he rides it into the sunset, having been transformed, both himself and his vice. It's a beautiful story, and it is what God wants for us. It is not just a fiction, a fictional story about a ghost. This is actually what can occur in our own lives it's incredible. Something must be killed. You know, I think we get the picture of that in Old Testament sacrifice. Something must be killed. We certainly see it in the death of Christ. Um, baptism, baptism symbolizes it. We go under the water, buried. We are dead. We are killed. And then we are brought to life. Uh, the, 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 coming to the table, which we're about to do, it reminds us that something must die. Something must be killed. Jesus was for us. I wonder what might happen today if you said to God, yes, you can kill it. Can we all just stand stand on our feet today? I wonder what would happen today if you said to God, yes, you can kill it. Whatever is shaping my life in a way that doesn't look like you, you can kill it. I can't. But you can, and I give you permission. Whatever yoke that I have on that, that isn't yours, you can break it. Whatever habits I've learned that aren't like you, you can squash them, God. Because whatever he kills, listen, whatever he kills resurrects in a new transformed state. That's why he says those who lose their lives for his sake will find them. Think about what yoke you have on.